The Jewish people had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, they're at the threshold of entering into the promised land. Egypt is behind them, the slavery, the plagues, all of that is in the past. And the book of Deuteronomy really is five sermons that Moses gave during that time, reflecting upon God's goodness and what God had done for them over the past 40 years. And Moses is giving this because he's about to die. And so he's giving the instructions here of what they need to do when they go into the promised land and these memorials they need to set up so that they don't forget. It's so important that we don't forget. And so with that, we find grateful people for God's goodness and we want to learn from them. So let's take a look at this passage here. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and the 26th chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 26. It was uh, several months ago that I had the opportunity to go back to the Holy Land after 30 years. And something I didn't get a chance to do last time was to go to the top of Mount Nebo. If you understand the Bible, you know that's the place where Moses went to see the promised land because he was denied entrance into it. And you remember the story there. And so he went to the top of Mount Nebo and and you can see the Dead Sea from there and uh, you can see Bethlehem on a clear day. You can see Jerusalem and it's a a panoramic view of what Moses got to see. 2,700 feet above sea level and of course the Dead Sea is 1,000 feet below. So you see as you look down into that valley what he got to see. Well, that's the setting for this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 26 and roughly the area that they were in at that time. I'm going to be talking today about uh, thankfulness and gratitude, and I want you to pick that out in this passage as we take a look at it here. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 26. And it shall be, this is Moses talking to the people of Israel, it shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord sware unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey." And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. 
And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. It's a time of the year, folks, when we should be really thinking about gratefulness and gratitude and thankfulness. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about that subject as we begin a little series entitled, Grateful for God's Goodness. Grateful for God's Goodness. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for your goodness. We thank you so much now for this opportunity to assemble with this good group of folks. And Father, we just pray now that you would meet with us here, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lead us by thy Holy Spirit, and that the decisions that are made would bring glory and honor unto your Son, Jesus Christ. For we pray now and ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. Back in 1923, there was an awful earthquake in Japan. It just rocked the uh, island nation of Japan. One of the worst national or natural disasters in history at that time. I, I think it really, the epicenter was, was around uh, Yokohama, and it was leveled. The town of Yokohama was, was, was put on the ground. And miles away in Tokyo, three-fourths of the town burned up. If I remember right, there were, I, I think, 300,000 deaths, and there were uh, two and a half million homeless people. It was just an awful, awful thing. It was, it was uh, desperate times for Japan. There was disease and there was death and there was despair everywhere. And, and the word got back to America. There was a great need in Japan. And, and the American people rallied around Japan, raised millions of dollars and, and sent many people over there to help with the situation. And a, a very grateful Japanese nation afterwards said, we will not forget your kindness. Well, 18 years later, on December 7th, 1941, in Pearl Harbor, you know what happened. They came and devastated our our naval force and, and killed thousands of our young men. And they forgot. They forgot how quickly we forget. And we need reminders, folks, and we need memorials. The Jewish people had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, they're, they're at the threshold of entering into the promised land. Egypt is behind them, the slavery, the plagues, all of that is in the past. And now the, the land of Canaan is before them, which of course would be their land. And they would conquer it, and they would set up judges, and, and they would have kings, and they would become a world empire. But at this particular time, it was about 1,450 years before the time of Christ. It was a different day. It's, it's the 40th year of their wilderness wandering. It is the 11th month. And the book of Deuteronomy really is five sermons that Moses gave during that time reflecting upon God's goodness and what God had done for them over the past 40 years. And, and Moses is giving this because he's about to die. It's his swan song. It's really it for him. And so he's giving the instructions here of what they need to do when they go into the promised land and these memorials they need to set up so that they, they don't forget. And so in the future, he says, God's going to give you that land. The tabernacle's going to follow you around. There's going to be some key spots for it. And whenever you farm your land, at the end of the year, I want you to take the first fruits of your crop and I want you to go to the tabernacle, wherever it is, And I want you to to make this vow. I want you to take this oath. I want you to recite this this benediction 
to help you remember all of this and, and cultivate something in your heart so that you don't forget. It's so important that we don't forget. And so with that, we, we find a grateful people for God's goodness, and we want to learn from them. So let's take a look at this passage here. We see in it, first of all, what I call the extended gift. The extended gift. In verse number 1 of Deuteronomy 26, Moses says to the people, And it shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possesseth it, and dwellest therein. I want to just stop there before we read on. And, and I want to point out the word when. It shall be when thou art come into the land. There's no if there. He says, you're going into that land. God's promised it to you. And by the way, there are over 7,500 promises in the Word of God. We can take them to the bank. I mean, they're cash, if you will. God has said it, and it will come to pass. And so we find Moses saying, when you go into that land, and certainly it would happen. In fact, in Exodus 13, 5, we find the same man saying, the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey. God's promised it to you. He's given you his word. He's sworn unto you. And so he says back here in chapter 26 and verse 1, when? When? Out yonder in the future, sometime you're going to conquer that land. It had been 40 years. There was a delay. But never forget this. There's sometimes obstacles on our way to uh, embracing the promises of God. There's sometimes divine delays. Don't let that discourage you. We find that God keeps his word, and in due time it will come to pass. Way back earlier even, God had promised all this to, to Abraham. We'd call him maybe the first Jew. But he says in Genesis 17, 8, And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, that's the Hebrews, the Jewish people, or Israel, he says, The land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting in, in possession, and I will be their God. Here's a promise made way back yonder, hundreds of years earlier, to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to give your people that land. And so in verse 1, notice, and it shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. There is the instruction. There's going to be a key place. There's going to be a, a place where the, the tabernacle is set up, and you're going to take your first fruit of your crop and go to that place. Now, at this point, they hadn't even gotten the land. They hadn't conquered anything. Joshua would hand off or tag off with Moses. The baton would be passed. Joshua would take the people of Israel in, conquer that land. There would be some judges that followed, and, and during the time of the judges, that tabernacle would be in Gilgal. So that was the place to bring the crop. Later on, it would be in the town of Shiloh. It would be there up until the time of Eli, the last judge, if you will. And then the Philistines would capture the ark. Remember that? And that's when the tabernacle and, and the ark split and separated. The ark went over to Kerjath, Jarim, and, and the tabernacle ended up in Shiloh and then in uh, Gibeon and then uh, in Nob. And finally, they say we're going to build a real building. So they built this magnificent temple in Jerusalem 
And, and Solomon dedicates this temple and, and they bring in the ark. It's 500 years after now the time of Moses. And we read in 1 Kings 8 and verse 29, he's praying. Solomon says to God, that thine eyes may be open unto, to this house or toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, my name shall be there. And Solomon's making reference back here to Deuteronomy. This is now the place. This is where your eye is going to be. This is where your name is going to be. And so finally, the ark has a resting place in the temple there in Jerusalem. And that's where the Jewish people now are to bring their first fruits, their wheat or whatever it was, to the temple every single year. And in verse number 3, we pick it up. And it goes on. Moses says, And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And so now we find the priest involved. Bring the first fruits to the priest. Back in those days they had this Levite, they had this Jewish priest. Of course, who's our priest today? <laughs> he's, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the priest here pictured Christ. The first fruits also pictured Christ. If you understand what the Bible says over in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And so this is rich in symbolism and parallels. And, and we find here that, uh, that we find that the Jewish people have come to the temple. They brought their extended gift. But we also find secondly what we call the expressed gratitude. The expressed gratitude. These Jewish people are, are giving acknowledgement to their great landlord, God, of his gracious gifts unto them and thanking them. We trace the first Thanksgiving really to 1621, but it goes way back further than that. They were doing that kind of thing right here. This was their Thanksgiving holiday. And in verse 5, this is what I really like. And thou, here's Moses instructing them, here's what you do. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, Assyrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. We find here he makes reference to Assyrian ready to perish was my father. Who was this? Who is he talking about? Well, there are some who would think it's a reference to the very first Jew. Who was the first Jew? Who was the one that God picked out to start the nation of Israel? Well, we would say that was Abraham. And, and Abraham technically uh, settled in Syria after he left Ur of the Chaldees. He went from Syria, so he could be the Syrian, to Canaan, which is uh, what Israel became. And, and we find out that in Genesis 12, God made a very, a very special blessing for Abraham. He said, I'll bless them that bless you. I'll curse them that curse you. And... Uh, and we find that the Jews refer to Abraham as, as Father Abraham. It was Abraham who inherited the land. We read in Genesis thirteen fifteen, God says to him, For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And God even changed his name, remember, from Abram to Abraham. But I don't think it's Abraham, and I've asked others as well. I think there's something in verse 5 that gives us a little bit more of a hint. It says, And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there 
with a few and became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. So if you put the rest of the verse on there, who does it sound like to you? Who is it that went over to Egypt with a few? Who is it that became a great nation there? Well, there were about 70 in the family of of Jacob, actually, that followed him over during the famine and was fed by Pharaoh and so on and stayed there and became what we think to be a, a probably two, three million Jews. So maybe it's not Abraham. Maybe it's his grandson. It's probably Jacob. Jacob's name was changed as well. What was it changed to? Israel. Israel. That says a lot there. And it was from Jacob that the 12 sons or the 12 tribes of Israel came out of. So there are some who really trace the Jewish lineage to Jacob. Also, we find this over in Hosea 12 and verse 12. It says, And Jacob fled unto the country of where? Syria. And Israel, that's Jacob, served for a wife. You remember the story how he worked seven years and got gypped and long story there. But, but we find that perhaps this Syrian ready to perish really is talking about Jacob. You say, well, pastor, how was he ready to perish or die? Well, Esau wanted to kill him. Remember that? <laughs> you jip me out of the blessing. I'll kill him. And so a Syrian ready to perish fled. Or it could be that Laban. Uh, I mean, he was working for Laban, and Laban kept changing his wages. And, and maybe there it means a Syrian ready to perish. But regardless, notice again verse 15. I love this. It, or verse 5. It says in the middle, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. What an awesome description of where the Jews were at at the time. And really, what a neat vow. It's something the Jewish people memorized, and they did yearly. They came and they recited this thing, and it reminded them they had nothing to brag about. There was no room for boasting. There was nothing to flaunt. The Jews weren't any catch when God found them. That's the bottom line here. That's the condition God found them in, in Egypt, in hard bondage, with brick kilns, with the, 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 the cruel lash upon their back, in slavery, in, in heat, in toil, with taskmasters, in death, crying out to God. A Syrian ready to perish. They were in dire straits when God found them. In Exodus 3 and verse 7, God says to them, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land unto a good land. And a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God says they're in tough shape. They're in a hurt bag. They weren't some kind of catch. A Syrian ready to perish. That's what they were. Nothing to boast about. You know, sometimes... Uh, we might think we were some kind of a catch. Let me tell you, when God saved me, I was a skeving, ready to perish, <laughs> bottom line, ready to, to perish and, and go out into a Christless eternity. But you know, we have this golden nugget in John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish, perish, but have everlasting life. Thank God for his salvation. Thank God for his son. Thank God for the blood that Jesus Christ shed for our sins. A lot of people are trying to work their way to heaven. Joining churches, getting baptized, have this do list. And everybody's do list is different. Have you noticed that? And they say, well, if I do this, I do that, and I do the other thing, hopefully my good will outweigh my bad and God will let me in. That's not how you get to heaven at all. You are ready to perish. That much is true. You are a sinner, and I, I'm a sinner, 
But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you placed all your faith and all your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross? Have you called upon him in repentance and faith and been born again as Christ called it? A Syrian ready to perish. But oh, how we need to cry out at such times. We read this in Psalm 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. Have you made the Lord your trust? Have you trusted the finished work of Christ? Has he lifted you up out of that horrible pit and out of that miry clay and set your feet on the rock? The Lord Jesus Christ, I hope he has. A Syrian ready to perish. We ought to be grateful for God's goodness. You know, there's humility, really, that is connected with uh, gratitude, I think. And every Jew who approached that priest and who approached that altar had to, had to humble himself, had to acknowledge his unworthiness, had to uh, acknowledge his obligation to God and what God had done for him. I like this verse over Isaiah 51.1. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit when she are digged. That's where God found us. That's where God found me. That's where he found you. And it, it behooves us to remember this. I think it's an exercise uh, in humility and will really help us greatly. It should, it should pride ever rise in our bosom. You, you see, here's what the New Testament has to say. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory or brag as if thou hast not received it? It's a good point. What do we have that we did not receive? Any possessions, any talents, any whatever? And if we did receive it, why do we brag as if we did not receive it? That's true. And, and there's a, a reason that God gives us these reminders. Like the Japanese who forgot us at Pearl Harbor God help us. Well, we find they further rehearse this thing in verse number 6. They go on and, and they say, And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And you remember the story. That's all true, isn't it? We read back in Exodus chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. It was slavery. It was awful. Now, it started out friendly. If you think about it, you know, Pharaoh and Jacob were friends. Remember when, when Joseph brought his dad into Pharaoh and said, this is my dad, and, 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 and uh, Pharaoh said, would you bless me? And Jacob, the old man, blessed him there. And uh, everything started out good, and, and they were given land and, and uh, blessings. But in time, in time, it was slavery, it was bitterness, it was hostility, it was, it was drowning their babies. Everything changed. Things change. We find in verse number 7, it says, And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. They cried out to God. God heard them. Praise God. We read in Exodus 2.23, And it came to pass in process of time, 
that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came unto God by reason of bondage. We find God's ear in tune. Uh, we find God's ear sensitive to the cry of his children when things look dark. And so in verse 7, they said, When we cried unto the Lord God our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. When's the last time you and I cried out to God, by the way? When's the last time we had our backs to the wall and we said, Help! <laughs> and, and we cried out to God. We read in Psalm 107, 6, They cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Praise God for that. God loves to hear our cry and our acknowledgement of our need of him. Well, it goes on in verse 8, and it says, And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. There's the expression, by the way. That's the epitome of God's blessings, the, the milk and the honey. Folks, if we stop and take inventory, if you have a house to live in, God's blessed you. If you have three square meals a day, God's blessed you. If you have heat in your home, God's blessed you. If you have a car in your garage, if you even have a garage, God's blessed you. If you have a job, if you have friends, uh, if you have clothing, God's blessed you. If you have a New Testament church, God has blessed you. Rehearse all these things. Rehearse all these things before God. You know, in, in my morning devotions, I have a time of, of uh, confession. I have a time of, of praise. I, I have a, a, a time of asking, of course, because that's what prayer is. But I always have a time of thanks, a time of gratitude. It is so good for us to thank God daily. I think it, it cultivates uh, warm fuzzies. I think it uh, aids the memory as we thank God. It, it really prevents sloppy gratitude. God help us every single day to have a time of just thanking Him. I believe it, 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 it creates this bond with God. It's, it's, a, it's a bond that really ought to be in our families. We ought to be a grateful family. We ought to be a grateful church. God help us to rehearse these things and express that gratitude. We see this extended gift. We see uh, this expressed gratitude. But thirdly, we see this exuberant gladness. This exuberant gladness. Notice in verse number 10. And now, behold... This is the Jew talking to God. Behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And then it says, And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. Now, what they had brought was the first fruits, they're called here. And it's just part of their crop, probably a wheat. But it was taken as a portion that God had given to them, and now they're giving it back to God. Of course, God doesn't need wheat to eat or whatever. It, it actually uh, helped the, uh, the priests and, and met needs there at the temple. But really what it was was an expression of their generosity. And, and uh, I think there's liberality that is also connected with being grateful to God, grateful for God's goodness. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 8, if we had time to look there, that we are reminded that even the strength to work a job and make money comes from God. Sometimes we think, well, I earned this money. No, it's God who gave you the food to have the energy to go and make the money. Uh, really, it's God who gives you the power, I think, is the word there. And, and really, part of our worship, folks, needs to be acknowledgement that God is the one who has provided for us. 
we find that God teaches from the beginning to the end this principle of giving back to him a portion that he has given to us. This same Jacob I mentioned a moment ago, we find in Genesis 28, 22, he's talking to God, and he says, Of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. In other words, whatever I earn at this, this 100%, I'm going to give you 10. I'll live on 90. Isn't God generous, by the way, to ask for one part and give us nine parts back? But we find this business of giving a portion back to God all over the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the, with the first fruits of all thine increase. It's talking exactly about what we're talking about here in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Honor the Lord with that 10%, with that tithe. Give it to the Lord. You know, I was teaching a finance class this last week in our, our Bible college, Faith and Finances. And, 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 of course, we talked all week long about how to get out of debt and how to set up a, a, a budget and how to invest even and all these kind of things. But I told the students, nearly 40 of them, I said, don't even bother if you're not tithing, if you're not giving. Uh, The Bible actually speaks of a curse upon the Christian that's not giving God his due because the first fruits belong to the Lord. In fact, we read in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. It's talking about the very thing we just did a moment ago on the first day of the week. We took up that offering, and you've laid by you that which you had planned on giving, and when the plate came by, you gave it. And God bless you for that. You, you show God you love Him when you give to Him. You show God you trust Him when you give unto Him. It's a step of faith. It really is. But, but here's what happens. We read Malachi 3. Notice the word store in that last verse, by the way. In Malachi 3, it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. By the way, I believe the, the New Testament church is the storehouse. I believe that's where we ought to give. That's where I give to. And we're told here back in Malachi to bring the tithes into the storehouse. He says that there may be meat in mine house. We're reading about that here. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Here's the part that's neat. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I believe that a Christian is hindering his own financial well-being if he is robbing God in this area and we're not trusting God. Now, I believe that that this practice was started way back then and uh, it was one that that showed gratitude, but it was also very practical. I think words are cheap and, and we can even sing praises, you know, to God and so on. But I believe the gratitude should be practical and the duty of giving is a delight when we give. It's a delight. I believe it's part of our worship. The word worship is found at the end of verse 10. It says, And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. Can you imagine this? Uh, They've been farming back home. They've gathered in the crop. They've taken a basket and, and, and put in the first fruits. And they've taken it to Jerusalem. They've set it on the altar and they've recited this thing before the priest. The Syrian ready to perish was I, but God did this, that, and the other thing. And then they, they give it to the house of God and they rejoice. They worship. They're happy. They're gushing. They're thankful. When is the last time 
we gushed at the greatness of God. I mean, actually, we're so thankful we were gushing about. We find these folks so happy they're rejoicing. In verse 11, notice it says, And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. You can almost feel the happiness there. They're rejoicing. We read this over in the New Testament book of Philippians 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. God's blessings are many and God's blessings are wonderful. And these people were rehearsing those things. They came, they rehearsed, they gave, they rejoiced. We read in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, he'll take it from any old grouch, okay? <laughs> but God loveth a cheerful giver. And when we give, it ought to do something for us. We ought to rejoice. And it ought to establish joy and strengthen joy because we get to give to the cause of Christ. And it's the love of Christ that constraineth us. You know, if Christians really aren't brimming with joy, it's not God's fault, folks. It's, it's our privilege, really. It's our privilege to give and to rejoice. And may God give us a contagious joy. We read here at the last part of verse number 11 again. It says, And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and unto thine house. Notice, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. It should be a contagious joy. When, when we're rejoicing, others around us will rejoice. And as we share that joy, we become a channel of that joy. So rehearse God's goodness. We read this in Psalm 40 and verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Here's these Jews counting their blessings. What a great time it had to be. Now, these uh, Jewish feasts and uh, ceremonies and traditions obviously are long gone. They've ceased. In practice anyway. But in principle, we as New Testament Christians ought to practice this. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And, and the remembrance of God's goodness needs to be cultivated. Lest we be as guilty as the Japanese like we talked about at the beginning. And so we need to cultivate that. But secondly, we need, to, we need to recognize that God is the author of all blessings. God is the author of all blessings. We read in James 1 and in verse 17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Without Him, there would be no land to yield an increase. Without Him, there would be no strength given for us to farm the land. Without him, there'd be no sun to shine on that land. There'd be no rain to fall on that land. Who's, all, who's behind all this stuff, if I could put it that way? He is. He is. Working behind the scenes. Not some, not some higher power, but the one true God. Jehovah's his name. Jesus Christ is his name. And so we need to recognize God as the author of all blessings. Thirdly, we need to admit our utter dependence upon him. And, and really, our song should be like the psalmist who sung this song of old in Psalm 68 and 116, who said, Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What a question is that? 
God daily loadeth us with benefits. What should we render unto him for all his benefits? You know, as I look at this and read this and, and muse on this, it's, it's obvious to me that man is the object of God's lavish generosity and blessings. And the Jewish people here, they realize that. They realize that all these, these gifts, this land, God was behind the land. God was behind giving them a nation. God was the one who gave them the fields. God was the one who gave them the houses. God was the one who gave them the temple. And they came into that temple acknowledging all that. God was the one who gave them the priest. God was the one who gave them the corn and the olive oil and everything else. And, and they lived realizing that throughout their history, uh, throughout their deliverance, throughout their security, that everything had God's fingerprints all over it. And these events and these, uh, these object lessons, in all of it, they discern God. And, and they came in and they acknowledged that. But this is not some stuffy, old, archaic, Old Testament stuff here. God wants us to see something here. Let's bring it up to the New Testament. Let's bring it up to New Testament church. Let's bring it up to Acts 2.46, where it says of those believers that they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat, notice, with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Can you put yourself there? Can you feel it? Daily, they are rejoicing at God's goodness. God has been so good to us, folks. It's high time we acknowledge it, especially at this time of the year. God is so good. You know, uh, later on today, I'll hopefully be attending a, a, a memorial service for somebody who got saved in the 11th hour, the dad of, of somebody sitting here today. God in his goodness saved that individual. Later on this week, I'll, I'll be uh, officiating at the funeral service of a dear lady who died at the 11th hour, who's the mother of a, of a faithful man in this church, driven truck for years, and humble servant of the Lord, and, and loves God, and God saved his mother in the 11th hour. I heard just, uh, I think yesterday, of, of uh, the salvation of another mom, of somebody who's been in this church 20-some years, and that lady's on her deathbed right now. God's doing some amazing things, some wonderful things, but we need to be thankful, folks. We need to acknowledge it. We need to be grateful. Let's, uh, us as New Testament Christians and members of Fargo Baptist Church, acknowledge the divine favor that we receive of God, the, the, the fountain of all endowment and, and all blessing and all favor comes from God, and be thankful for it. Back in the, I think, uh, around 1837 or so along those lines, there was a queen in England, very famous. You've heard of the Victorian age and so on. Uh, the longest reigning monarch up until recently in, in, uh, in England, Queen Victoria. And she was attending, early on in her reign, she was attending a, a, a church service. And the chaplain was, or the chaplain, the, uh, the, the, the victor, whatever he's called, the, the minister, was, was talking about the goodness of God and the second coming of Christ. And, and uh, those around her, she's sitting in the royal box with the crown on her, on her, her, her head. And, and they noticed tears streaming down her face and her lip quivering and, and, and her just trembling. And, and uh, when the service ended... She called for that minister, and he came in, and, and she was still weeping. And, and he said, Your Highness, what, what has moved you so? What, what did I say? And she said, Well, it's really nothing you said, but the fact that Jesus Christ 
paid such a price for my sins. He went back to heaven, but he's coming back again. Tell me more about that. And as he explained it more to her, she said, stop, stop. She said, oh, I wish he was here right now. I'd give anything to just take this crown and lay it at his blessed feet. Oh, how I thank him. And folks, oh, how we need to thank him. He's done so much for us. God help us to be grateful for his goodness. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.